Hi there, my name is Romana and great that you are listening to Philosophy Explained. This podcast is focused on interesting philosophies so you can find a true connection with yourself and the people around you. Are you ready to expand your vision on life and to be inspired? Then let's start. During this last interview with Buddhist David Marx, we are talking about his perspective on modern-day problems. He talks about the importance of inner stillness, how depressions are related to karma, and why karma has nothing to do with punishment. Last but not least, he shares his greatest life lessons, an amazing and memorable ending of a three-piece interview. Applying the Buddhistic philosophy in the Western world, do you believe there is a way to make and hold onto inner progress in a world that's constantly tempting us to give in to our desires? Yeah, I think um, we speak about uh, following the Bodhisattva path to enlightenment, okay? So we want to become a bodhisattva. We want to emulate the activities of a bodhisattva. So, you know, the, the principal activities of a bodhisattva are um, uh, generosity, morality, patience, um, perseverance, and of course, concentration and wisdom as well. Most importantly, I suppose. So those practices, they're not exclusive to, say, monks or nuns living in a monastery or a yogi living in the cave. Some are a little bit more developing concentration and the wisdom that flows on from that. That requires, I think, more of a um, more of a, a commitment to a solitary life, not for everybody, but for most people. But mor- morality, well, lay people and, um, and, and ordinary people have to practice morality and practicing generosity if we live in the world and work in the world. So many opportunities to practice generosity, not just with our wealth, but with our time, with our love, um, so many different manifestations of generosity. And patience, of course, living in the world is in- endlessly frustrating. And, uh, you know, somebody or something is always giving rise to irritation. So uh, incredible opportunity uh, to practice on on one level. On the other hand, we are also trying to overcome our attachment and our desire and um, somehow the, the living and working in the world for most people, it's actually... I think is more difficult in a way because the energy of the world, you know, it's a busy world to, to, if we're going to work in the world, if we've got a job, there's a lot of pressure, um, a lot of expectation. And I think it can be much more difficult to find a sense of um, inner space and inner tranquility. And without that, it's very difficult to control the mind and develop the mind in a, in a really powerful way. There's a lot that we can do living and working in the world. It's not, it's not one thing or the other. And, and I know people who have gone to their, their Lama and said, oh, I want to become a monk or I want to become a nun. And they've said no. 
for you in this life, it's better to be to, to, to be an ordinary person like that. So it depends on the individual. <clears throat> but if you think about it, as we were saying before, it's like um, the, the world in particular, well, not just the Western world, everywhere, if you've got worldly responsibilities, if you're married with children, whether you, you know, you've got a family to take care of and responsibilities, or you've got a, um, a mortgage to pay on the house, or even you have to find the money for rent, okay? It's like managing the, the mundane aspects of life takes up most of our time. And there isn't a lot, most people when they come home from work, most Buddhists, when they come home from work, they don't uh, go to the meditation room and meditate for a couple of hours. They come home, they maybe have a beer, they sit in front of the TV, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, relax and, and that's it. They're too tired to do much else. It's like the ordinary world becomes all consuming and exhausting. And the more we get caught up in it, the more difficult it is to disentangle ourselves. So is it possible to develop and mature and grow spiritually or possibly even become enlightened living and working in the ordinary world? Definitely. But for most people, it is more difficult. So we do the best we can. Uh, we, we, yeah. we, if, we, if we need to do that, and most people do, most people live like that, then at least once a year or twice a year, we should go on a retreat somewhere, you know, as well as going on our usual holidays, we should go on a spiritual holiday, back to Copan Monastery for a couple of weeks, just to immerse ourselves in that energy or to an ashram or to, it doesn't have to be to India or Nepal. There are lots of meditation centers in Europe, for example, but somewhere where the energy is more peaceful and more quiet and more conducive to introspection and meditation and contemplation. So what would that inner stillness do for people who are living the daily lives with all the stress they are um, experiencing and the pressure and the expectations? Oh, I think if, if people are able to develop a meditation practice and connect up with that inner stillness, then that's possibly the greatest gift they can give themselves. Because when things do become a little bit too stressful and a little bit overwhelming and frustrating and uh, we have a, little, a bit too much anxiety, if we can find a bit of personal space and withdraw into that inner space of tranquility and clarity and uh, silence, which is also incredibly joyful and peaceful and energizing, then, uh, you know, it gives us, it's like recharging a battery that's been depleted. And we can recenter re ourselves, refocus ourselves, uh, regenerate our, our energy for getting on with whatever it is that we need to be doing. Um, it's actually really important, whether one is a Buddhist or not, just as a human being, to be able to connect to our, uh, a deeper level, a, a, a deeper experience of, uh, of who we are as, uh, as living beings. So incredible if people are able to do that. Um, really a wonderful gift for oneself. Makes you much more effective as a human being and much happier as a human being as well. A, it's like there's always a safe place to go to. It's your own little monastery in your heart 
and inside your mind, if you know what I mean, a place mm -hmm. of tranquility and solitude and joy and peace and, um, you know, all of those wonderful things that I just mentioned. Yeah. So would you say that that is also like the antidote for, or antidote for the um, negative emotions such as hatred and aggression and jealousy and um, those kind of emotions. To some, extent, uh, to some extent, I think that's true because, you know, we, as you know, we, we speak in terms of all people having what we call Buddha nature. That is, we all have the potential to become infinitely wise and infinitely compassionate and, uh, you know, perfect beings, as it were. And I think myself on some level, Human beings are fundamentally good, not fundamentally bad. And if we develop a practice, whether it's prayer, we call it prayer or meditation or whatever we might call it, but if we're able to find that spaciousness within ourselves and, and retreat into that space of solitude and tranquility and peacefulness, my own experience, and I think the experience of, of countless other people as well, is that space itself allows the goodness within us to manifest more strongly. Um, and it's like in that space, positive energy just naturally tends to arise. And out of that positive energy, love, kindness, compassion, wisdom, like that, okay? So in that sense, being centered, being calm, being clear is an antidote to the negative emotions of anger and, and uh, hatred and selfishness and pride, because those delusions themselves are, in a sense, a reflection or a, um, a manifestation of the, you know, overly excited, busy, anxious, disturbed, agitated mind. So the more peaceful the mind, somehow naturally the more kind and loving we become. The more uh, agitated the mind, the more aggressive, the more angry, the more arrogant we can become. I mean, that's the whole point in Buddhism, isn't it? Everything depends on the mind. If the mind is calm and clear and peaceful, so much easier to cultivate positive qualities. But if we're stressed and anxious and upset and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, so easy to become angry and so easy to say and do things which harm other people in different ways. So, yeah, really, it's, it's so important in, uh, in finding peace and happiness for oneself, but also uh, in terms of um, establishing a healthy relationship with others, always connecting up with that inner, that inner goodness. And that's what meditation allows us to do very effectively. Okay, okay. Um, there is a clear development in the amount of teenagers and young adults who are getting depressed. Why do you think that is? Uh, last time we were talking about existential angst. And I think in the world today, People, uh, you know, even at a young age, we've experienced a lot and we are intelligent and well-educated 
And I think people, uh, especially in, for, for you know, the generation or two below me, you know, one looks at the world and there's just so much aggression, so much environmental degradation, so much emphasis on just materialism, money and power and wealth. And uh, I think people will experience a tremendous sense of purposelessness and essencelessness what you know what's the mean are we really here as human beings just to accumulate wealth just to become famous just to have you know 10 million followers on instagram or whatever it is i don't really know how those things work but you know what i mean to, oh to be an influencer that's what they call them isn't it? <laughs> yeah yeah and it's all very superficial and shallow and i think people are missing and are lacking in their lives, not just young people, but everybody, majority of people. Again, as we spoke last time, they're missing a connection with a spiritual dimension to our existence as human beings, which is absolutely essential for us to be complete and whole as human beings. It's almost like one complete side of our development is missing. It's important to be educated. It's important that people are able to look after themselves and earn a livelihood and support their families and in responsible and meaningful ways. But it's equally important that we understand that we have a spiritual uh, dimension to our being. And if we don't nourish that and nurture that, we're always going to feel on one level disconnected. We're never going to be complete. We'll be disconnected from ourselves and we'll be disconnected from others and the world at large. So I think a lot of depression, of course, a lot of depression is related to anger. Okay. I know that's, that's not Buddhist. That's psycholo That's a psychological insight. Uh, and it's really true, you know, that uh, anger directed at oneself for not being good enough, for not being successful, for perhaps not being as moral as we should have been or as caring as we should have been, because in some ways our world is quite immoral. It's almost as if you do whatever you like, as long as it gets you what you want, it's okay. Don't worry about others too much. Only think about yourself. You know, it can be often be a very, very self-orientated and selfish world. And that goes against our basic goodness when we act in an immoral way. It's somehow contrary to who we really are as human beings. Behaving in a moral and an ethical way, it, um, it gives us our self-respect, restores our self-respect and our personal dignity. Really important. Of course, many, many factors, but anger for whatever reason, but also a sense of hopelessness and helplessness. And it's I sympathize, you know, with, with people of your generation. It must be so much more difficult. Um, the world is a real mess. There's no question about that. The, the, the world is a, is a mess, and it's, it, it doesn't seem to be getting much better. It seems to be getting worse. It's easy to be pessimistic. What's the solution? Phew, wow. I don't know. From, on one level, it has to be spiritual, and it has to be individual, and with an, enough individuals applying a spiritual solution, it becomes a collective solution. But we've got to understand that we can't go on living the way we're living. And we can't go on 
abusing the earth and the resources and, uh, and desecrating the planet the way we are. It's just impossible. It, 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 it's unsustainable. Um, so I think there's a tremendous amount. Greta, Greta Thunberg, is it? The, the young girl from Norway, Sweden, the Peace, Peace Prize winner, the environmentalist. That, that sort of um, uh, uh, approach, we, we all really need to think like that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, what's left, you know? So yeah. I suspect for young people in particular, it's just the emptiness of modern life, the purposelessness and the pointlessness of it all. That's, that's what I experienced 40 years ago growing up in Australia. It has to be worse for the younger people, uh, the, the pressures on people much, much more than when I was growing up. But I also suspect that on one level, the depression is induced somewhat by the sense of alienation and isolation that we experience so easily in our modern world, you know? I mean, this is the great problem. People are so disconnected from each other uh, in so many ways. In other ways, more connected than, than ever with the, with the internet and so forth and social, uh, what do we call it? social media and so forth. But on a human level, in many ways, disconnected from each other as we become increasingly materialistic and selfish and fearful and, and, and anxious and so forth. Uh, there's no simple answer. And I don't think for a moment that Buddhism is the answer to everybody's psychological problem. I think a lot of people, uh, and I've met, I know a lot of Buddhists who should be in therapy, you know. I'm not saying that Buddhism doesn't work, but, you know, on one level, one also needs a certain degree of mental and emotional health to really appreciate Buddhist teachings. Otherwise, meditation can actually exacerbate problems for some people. Yeah, so you yeah. have to be really careful about that. When it comes to depression, for, we also have to understand that it's a, it can be, a, it is also related to karma. So for example, it's sometimes said that upsetting the minds of people, uh, you know, if, if you really in, in one lifetime, you've been really unkind or unskillful in some way and caused someone tremendous mental pain and anguish and distress. The karmic consequence of that can be in subsequent lives to experience extreme mental anguish and distress and depression. So the problem with just a purely Western psychological approach to mental illness or depression or anything else is it doesn't take into account karma. The problem with the Buddhist approach to mental illness and depression and so forth is that it sometimes doesn't understand well enough the conditions that have shaped a person's psychological disposition. You know, a broken family, um, abuse as a child, uh, societal alienation, uh, unrealistic expectations of being successful, 
you know like so one often are... reads of children in japan who so much pressure to be successful in their exams they commit suicide in india as well other countries mm. it's terrible so... that sort of thing so what is causing people to being born in those circumstances does it have anything to do with karma if you are oh, yeah. growing the, the, up this in is all related to karma for sure the, the 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 type of birth we get even whether we're male or female the, the race the culture the uh, society that we're born into uh, the family that we're born into the good family you know loving caring supporting nurturing or a, a family a, a abusive alcoholic drug dependent right and there are all sorts of you know different possible circumstances all of those things are karmic for sure why did we get born to this particular mother and this particular father and why do we have these particular social religious cultural um, conditions in our life definitely related to karma um, but it, at the same time though it's those conditions which shape us in this life okay so we in trying to understand who we are and why we our mind thinks in a certain way karma is like the background for that uh, but the particular circumstances of our life we have to examine those very carefully why do i think in a certain way why do i experience the world in a certain way yes it's karmic really karmically related and you know depends on past life but it also depends very much on the influences of this life particularly the early particularly the early influences um uh, you know in the first 10 15 years of our life were we bullied at school for example did our teachers humiliate us did our parents not love us um in with in the way that we needed to be loved all of these sort of things they very, very important considerations that we must look at um, in order to heal ourselves and in order to become whole, in order to be able to, you know, be truly human and, you know, let alone enlightened. Don't you think it's kind of unfair to be punished in a new life in which you have no memory of your past life in which you did others wrong? Uh, in a way, it's horribly unfair, um, but we're not being punished. This, this is a really, this is not a comfortable word to use, okay? Because mm -hmm. when we use the word punishment, it's a little bit like saying, oh, somebody deserves what they're, you know, somebody's born into a bad situation. You deserve that because in a previous life, you did something wrong. This is a really judgmental and unkind way to understand karma. Um, uh, you know, suffering pervades. You remember, you, you know, the first noble truth, suffering is everywhere, okay? Whether a human being or an animal or some other life form, whether we're talking about planet Earth or some other universe, suffering pervades everywhere. First noble truth. And there's mental suffering and there's physical suffering. And it's horrible. And everybody who isn't an enlightened being suffers to a greater or lesser extent. You, me, you know, lamas, monk, nun, lay person, Buddhist, non-Buddhist, men, women, children, adults, 
everybody suffers to some extent, some more than others, okay? So the response to a suffering situation should always be compassion, if as much as possible, okay? At the same time, we have to try to have the wisdom which understands there's always a reason for suffering, be it the suffering of ourselves or the suffering of others. Doesn't mean we deserve it or somebody deserves it, but we create causes, okay? And causes, actions bring consequences, okay? So it's, we have to be a little bit mechanical. We even have to be a little bit unemotional about um, our approach to karma. Okay. Otherwise, uh, if we become, I don't like to say this, if we become too, you know, we have to be careful not to become judgmental. Oh, you deserve that because you are a bad person like that. We would never say that, or we should never say that. One has to be very careful when explaining this in a class as well. But do people create the cause for whatever they're experiencing? Absolutely. And so there is always an element of personal responsibility. If someone is born into a really horrible situation in life, of course, it's terrible. Of course, if we can help them, we should. But whatever help we try to give them, uh, from the Buddha's point of view, has to be understood in the context that this person is experiencing the consequence of past action. So to some extent, maybe even the main extent, they are responsible for what they are undergoing, however terrible it may be, okay? That doesn't mean we shouldn't try and help them. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be compassionate, but we also have to understand there's always a cause like that. So in that sense, there's no such thing as an innocent victim, right? It's impossible to experience something if we haven't created the cause to have that experience. Couldn't and that's why the teachings on karma are so important, because then we can moderate our behavior. If we don't want bad things to happen to us in the future, don't do negative actions now. If we want good we... things to happen in the future, engage in virtuous ethical actions now. Couldn't Sorry it be that we are like collateral damage for a relationship that someone else um, that we are like, uh, that, that you can be, a, that it can be a coincidence that you are at the wrong place at the wrong time, nothing, uh, not having to do anything with the situation that's going on, but still be a victim, like a car driving into yours. No, or... no, not according to karma, the teachings on okay. karma, the, the Buddhist teachings on karma, okay? Now, a lot of people have different ideas about how these things work, but according to the Buddhist explanation of things, there's no such thing as coincidence. You know, you're sort of riding your bicycle to school or to work or just because it's a nice, beautiful day, and some drunk person in a car comes speeding around the corner and runs you over, right? Completely, you never met that person in your life you never had anything to do with that person before, seems like a totally random event. And as you say, you are collateral damage. And there's no rhyme or reason as to why that happened. So of course, we blame entirely the drunk driver, as we should. 
on one level, because if he wasn't drunk or he or she wasn't drunk, if they weren't speeding, if they were more careful, they wouldn't, they would have seen you and they would have applied the brakes or they would have swerved to miss you, right? But why did that happen to you at that time? That's your karma, right? That's your karma. So we can't say there is no karmic involvement there. There, there. There's no, it's not just a coincidence. It's a karmic event being experienced by you. Now, what the karma was that caused you to be in that place at that time to be killed in that way by that person, right? And they're all specific points. That's incredibly subtle. And, and that's not something you'll find from Buddhist scripture or text. That's only something that can be known by a being who has very, very powerful clairvoyance and who can see past lives and understand the workings of karma. It's very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. How about life lessons? Do you believe sometimes we are experiencing things because the universe, for example, wants to teach us something? Or is that more like a, a result that has to do with karma, that we have to face a challenge in which we can choose either to give in or give up or to improve? Well, I, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, and it's terminology that I use myself, that the universe is teaching us a lesson. I think it, it's a nice way to think. I don't think that's a harmful way to think. I think the implication there is that there is some like benign, there is some being or some force in the universe that is um, manipulating the world in order to bring about certain experiences in our life. This I don't agree with. It, it, it's also karma. Karma puts us in certain situations that allow us to make a choice. What we do with that situation, that's our free will. That's the decision we have to make. And if we are mature and wise, and if we're open and we're growing, then whether we speak of a situation being karmically created or given to us by the universe, the consequence is the same. How do we respond to that situation? And I think it's really important to, to recognize that life, our journey in life is very much uh, a process of developing and maturing appropriate responses to the difficulties that we are presented with. Um, and, and whether we think of those as being given to us or, you know, we're being tested by the universe or by God, and some people might say God is testing us, or whether it's just a karmic consequence of various uh, uh, actions in the past, doesn't matter. Does every challenging situation, in every challenging situation, do we meet it with maturity and wisdom and kindness and compassion? And do we learn and grow from it? And if we do, then it's a good experience, even if it's a bad experience. Do you know what I mean? Based on all the things you have learned um, and the insights you have right now, if you could change one thing in this world, what would it be? Oh, if I could change one thing in the world? 
it would be the way um, men treat women. I think there's this incredible sort of um, imbalance in the way, um, uh, when I say men, I also mean like male energy and, 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 and you know, it's simplistic just to talk in terms of the patriarchy. Men are also victims, men also suffer. But there's something about our world in which, or I don't know, uh, where, whereby the feminine is somehow denigrated and um, almost despised. You know, you spoke about being in Bali earlier, and, uh, and I've also told you that I've been in Bali a few times in recent years. <clears throat> and I said to a friend of mine, the reason I, I, I like it there so much it seems to me the Balinese have almost um, have attained almost this perfect balance between male and female energies. There's something so graceful and beautiful and um, empowering about the femininity of Balinese people, men and women, you know, and, and, and I think that that's closer to how we should be as human beings. Other cultures also, you know, a, a bit, some are better than others, but generally in the world at large, it's just so heavily aggressive and um, uh, exploitative and um, destructive. And I think this is, when I say it's men, it's male energy. Whereas female energy, I think is something is creative and nurturing and um and there's a softness and uh, and uh, and uh, uh, um, to it and i don't think that's appreciated enough and i think it um i th i think it's in on one level it's what's wrong with this planet you know that that those th that energy is totally unbalanced and and, and it's um it's just it's it, it it's too much aggression too much destruction, too much um, uh, arrogance and pride like that. And, and we've lost touch, you know, maybe on one level, men are the greatest victims of this because it seems to me too many men are so disconnected from their feminine side. And to be a whole person, to be a complete person, to be a spiritually mature person, even to be an enlightened person, we, we speak about compassion and wisdom, compassion is considered a male quality wisdom is considered a female quality in 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 the indo-tibetan buddhist traditions it's the opposite in chinese buddhist traditions but the point is male female yin yang compassion wisdom they have to be balanced and i think there's this incredible disconnect and it manifests in this tremendous disrespect and contempt um, for women and all things feminine. And I think that's maybe one of the saddest things about this world. Um, that's that when I was thinking about that question, that's what came out. Actually, there are so many things one would like to change about the world, <laughs> but one doesn't have that power, unfortunately. But in terms of, of, the, of the crises that we face as a civilization and in terms of our personal relationships and societal relationships, I think this is absolutely one of the worst um, uh, problems. That It's almost, 
And it seems to me sometimes that there's almost like a civil war going on between men and women, you know, and it shouldn't be like that. Men have their beautiful qualities and women have their beautiful qualities. We all have our suffering. We all have our faults. We all have attachment and anger and desire and so forth. But we also should have tremendous respect for the difference and the qualities of the other person. And I don't see that. I, maybe I don't think it's just an Australian thing, but it's very, it's, it's very strong in Australia. It's like, um, it's almost like feminine values are, are denigrated and, 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 uh, and uh, belittled. It's, it's really unhealthy incredibly unhealthy and i think i suspect on some level it's a it's a problem with the western world not just australia but uh, here it seems to me acute perhaps that's one reason why i've always loved asia i've always felt though even though ex, you know has to be said asian societies are generally very patriarchal and there's much that's wrong about that but on another level there does still seem to be a uh, uh, more of a connectedness with the um, feminine as a divine quality. And I think that's something really important and really beautiful and, and really necessary. So like that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> looking back at your life, at your life path, what was your greatest lesson? There's, a, I, there's not just one, so I have to, have to give a couple of answers there. Okay, that's uh, and I thought about that. Uh, I think one of the most profound insights I ever had um, was before I became a Buddhist, and it was at the end of my travels in India that I spoke about a little bit um, last time. I won't, I won't go into the details of, of the, the circumstances in which it took place, but uh, well, just generally, I was, I was in a, a place called Rishikesh in North India, and I was uh, sitting on the banks of the river talking to a couple of Indian, um, uh, an Indian man and his son. And just because of what was being spoken about and the environment we're in, I had this incredible insight, um, which now just seems really sim simplistic, but I realized, oh, it all depends on the mind. Everything depends on the mind. Whether we're in, uh, enjoying something or whether we're not enjoying something, whether we see something as being good or whether we see something as being bad, that depends on us doesn't depend so much on outside world like that. It's a subject, that is that the world is entirely subjective. And understanding that the world is entirely subjective gives us the tool, uh, the freedom to make the world whatever we want it to be like that. So on one level, that, that, that was perhaps the single most profound insight I gained from the 18 months in which I was traveling um, through Asia and India. And of course, then one meets the Buddhist teachings, and that's just about the first thing you hear when you sit down and, and listen to Buddhist teachings, um, that everything depends on the mind. So it's sort of quite a powerful um, resonance there. Then the other thing that I think I also came to um, in the course of my travels, not so specifically a Buddhist influence, but also something we speak a lot about in Buddhism, 
at a certain point in traveling, you know, I encountered many um, strange experiences and many what you might call um, potentially dangerous situations. That at a certain point, I just let go and I realized I don't care if I live or if I die. I'm happy. If I die, I don't mind. So be it. I didn't believe in karma at the time. Now I can say if I die, it's my karma. I don't care. But even before I met Buddhist teachings, there was this sense of, I don't mind, you know, if I die, so what? Like that. And I think once we come to an acceptance of our death and, and a recognition that not just that we don't care, but that it's definitely going to happen and that you're comfortable with that is a tremendous sense of freedom that somehow it's like, oh, well, you know, if the worst thing that can happen to me is that I die, well, what's there to be afraid of? And I'm not afraid of dying. What's there to be afraid of? And I found that incredibly empowering. It was a sense of, well, okay, I'm free to go anywhere and do anything I like, um, within reason, of course, you know. Um, and I don't have to be afraid anymore. There's nothing, there's nothing to be afraid of. And that was an incredibly liberating um, realization as well. Uh, incredibly profound. Um, then I suppose... I suppose if I was going to say one more thing about that, I would say it is that the, again, related to the, the, the power of the mind and that everything comes to the mind. It is simply this, that if we have a good, good attitude, if we treat everybody with kindness, and this I've seen in my own life, you know, countless times, and I'm sure I'm told um, numbers of other people have as well. If we treat people with genuine kindness, or at least try to, and, and try to be understanding and compassionate, then somehow the world is a really beautiful place. And, and there's tremendous joy and happiness to be experienced um, all the time. So I think, you know, if I was to choose just three, I can't choose just one, but if I was to choose three, I would say those three. Maybe if you asked me next week, I'd come up with three different ones, but they're the ones I thought are really profound sort of insights and um, realizations that, uh, that uh, have been essential to my development uh, as a human being, for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Those are really oh, beautiful pleasure. lessons, definitely, yeah. I hope this episode challenged your mind, and I'd love to hear what you think about this philosophy. If you'd like to, you can visit my website, www.thetrueconnection.com. Here you find many more articles and podcast episodes focused on self-development. Did you like this episode? Don't forget to follow this podcast. Thank you for listening to Philosophy Explained, and hopefully, until next time.